Grace, thank you very much. We're going to have our reading now from John 15, um, verse 1 to 16, and Steve Pashley is going to come and read that for us. Well, in this reading, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, as as Neil has said. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 to 16. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you so that that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We thank God for his word. Uh, Thanks, Steve, for reading. Um, Can I welcome you again this morning? It's great to see you all here. Uh, particularly if you're visiting, um, you're really welcome with us this morning. Can I encourage you to keep John chapter 15 open? Um, If you don't uh, normally bring a Bible to church, can I encourage you to bring one? Um, It's not always that easy to speak when we're very reliant on words being on the screen, because then when you're at the front, it's all very inflexible, because you have to go with what's on the next slide, and you can't always share everything. So I just encourage you to bring a Bible, because it helps you to follow what we're saying. Um, But keep John 15 open. It's a great passage, and we're going to look at that together this morning. Um, Why don't you just take a moment of quiet? Uh, and I'll pray and ask for God's help to understand this passage this morning. 
Loving Father, we praise you for the opportunity we got this morning to hear from you. And we pray that in this passage, you would help us to understand what it means to know true joy. And thank you for all that it teaches. And please give us eyes that see this truth. Please give us ears that hear it. And please give us hearts that will respond to it, not just hearing, but responding. Amen. Just wondering, uh, do you feel a bit flat in life at the moment? You didn't arrive, but you just feel a little bit flat. Do you sometimes ask the question, I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know what it is, but I'm missing something in my heart. Do you ever feel joyless? Your life's good, but I don't have a joy in my heart, a deep joy. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever look at somebody else and say, I don't know what it is about that person, but I just want what they've got, and I don't seem to have it? I imagine they're questions that we've all asked at different stages in our life. They're good questions to ask. Um, But this passage will help us with them. You know, I ask those questions. I've asked those questions a lot in my life. I ask them particularly, though, in 2004. I was in Gambia. There I am in 2004. I was teaching a little group of uh, very young boys. They're called, uh, if I remember correctly, Alpha Omar, Hubert, and Prestige. I've never forgotten. Uh, These are three small children. I was teaching them in West Africa. And I remember sitting on a beach with that view. That's the picture taken on the beach I was on. I was on my own. And I read a verse from the passage we got in front of us this morning that totally changed everything for me in my heart. Have a look at verse 11. Something got hold of me that year. I'd never really read the Bible much before. And suddenly when I got to Gambia, I just had this appetite to read God's word every day for hours. I can't really describe it. But I read this verse sitting on that beach looking a bit like that. In 2004, and verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this, that's what we're going to look at this morning, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And it was like a, a penny dropped in my heart. For the first time in my life, that word joy just jumped out of me, and I thought, that is what I'm missing. I'm a Christian, I put my trust in Jesus when I was 16, and there I was on the beach, age 18, and something clicked in my heart and I read those words joy and I was thinking well where do I find that joy because I don't have it well this passage wants us to understand joy this passage wants us to understand all that it means to not just know about Jesus Christ but to truly know him because God says I long for each one of you to experience joy the same joy he says that he experiences that's what he wants for each of us Well, perhaps we're asking the question, how? How is it possible to know the kind of joy that Jesus is speaking of? Well, just have a look. There's the passage in front of us. Don't read it all. But we'll look at the word that I've highlighted. It comes up 10 times in our passage. Remain. If you've got an older translation, it will say abide. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Abide. Just imagine two people walking down a beach. Uh, They're in love and they're holding hands. And just occasionally they look at each other and smile. Or they glance across at each other. There's a little wink or a smile. That's the sense of abiding and remaining. There's just a close bond, a connection, a deep, deep love between two people. And they're walking forward together. That's what this passage is about. That's what remain or abide means. And it comes up ten times. See, if you're joyless in your life, or you said, yeah, I tick that box. There's something missing in my life. Do you know the answer isn't a spa treatment or a shopping spree? or a promotion, or a holiday, as lovely as all of those are, 
The answer, if you're joyless, is having an encounter with Jesus Christ. That is the answer. And that might seem complete and utter madness to you. Uh, Perhaps you're sitting here and going, that's just weird. Why would I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And particularly, he doesn't even live on this earth anymore. He's gone to be in heaven. He's not even a human being in that sense anymore. How can I have a relationship with a person I can't see? That's just weird. Or perhaps you're a Christian and you understand the Christian faith is about a walking, living relationship with Jesus. You put your trust in him, but if someone pushed you, you'd say, but I don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. I've trusted him. I know where I'm going, but I don't walk with him day to day. And I'm missing something in my heart. Well, can I encourage you? Because the disciples probably felt a little bit like you. If you remember last week when Neil was teaching chapter 14, if you look back, uh, Jesus says to his disciples that I'm going away. He says... I'm going to be betrayed. He says, Peter, one of his closest friends, is going to betray me. And I'm going back to heaven. And they're there, pretty confused. They're feeling a bit lost. Something's missing. They're lacking joy. They're a bit anxious. What's all going on? But remember, as Neil unpacked last week, in the context of all of that mess, comes those wonderful words of comfort. Chapter 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. And it's off the back of that. We then get to chapter 15, our chapter. And here we are. We come to the last of what are called the I am sayings in John. There are seven of them. There are seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. And as I said in the previous week, they're not statements where he's just trying to fill our mind with knowledge. Oh, that's nice. Jesus is this. He's this. Great. These are statements that are trying to draw us closer to him. Uh, If you've been in my group in the evenings uh, last week, I was saying that John's gospel is the most personal of all the gospels. And the writer is trying to draw us closer to Jesus. And these I am sayings, in a sense, open a door to who he is and open a door to what it means to have a relationship with him. And this is the last one we're looking at. I am the true vine. And this passage really teaches one thing. I'm going to teach one thing in a couple of ways, but this is the one truth. Stay close to Jesus and you will bear fruit. Now I'm going to unpack what it means to bear fruit. I'm going to unpack what it means to stay close to him. But that's the truth that I want you to grab hold of and think about this morning, okay? Now, I want you to look at this tree. Uh, just imagine that that was an apple tree. What's the purpose of that tree if it's an apple tree? Produce apples, okay? There's no tricks here. It's just pretty obvious, okay? <laughs> Don't look so worried. If that's an apple tree, its purpose is to produce apples. If it was a pear tree, what's its purpose? Produce pears. If it's a plum tree, produce plums. And also supply Jeff Stedman with endless illustrations, Okay? <laughs> Just as a tree has a purpose to produce fruit, do you know that you have a purpose? Every single human being has a purpose. When God created you, he created you to flourish. He created you to know him. He created you with a purpose, not one that you have to go and find, but one he gives you. And that is amazing. And as he says in this passage, your purpose is to remain or abide with him. It's to have a living, growing loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, you say it's weird. Yeah, you say I want that, but I don't know how. Well, that's where we're going. But that is his purpose for your life, just like the tree's purpose is to bear fruit. Now, if you want to understand this passage, if you just flip back to the Old Testament, uh, the people of God were called Israel, okay? And one of the names that Israel was given was the vine. Israel was the vine, and God was the gardener. Now, what would you do if you were a gardener? You plant the vine... You water the vine, you feed the vine, you look after the vine. And what do you expect? You expect the vine to bear fruit. 
But think about what happened. If the vine goes bad, what will happen? It will bear bad fruit. If the apple tree goes bad, it will bear rotten apples. Well, it's exactly the same with you and me. Just have a look at this little passage here. It comes from a book called Isaiah. It's a prophecy. Let me just read it to you. It's a little bit longer, but I want to read it to you. It's really important. Isaiah's the writer. He's a prophet. He says this, I will sing for the one, that's God, I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one, that's God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Then he says, now you dwellers in Jerusalem, people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I'll tell you what's going to be done to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall, it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I'll command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard only cries of distress. The people of God were called the vine. And they went bad because God no longer was at the center of their life. They ignored him and they started producing bad fruit. Are you missing something in life? Are you lacking joy? Because I believe this passage teaches that the reason that you might be feeling that is because God is not at the center of your life. Now you take that picture of Israel as the vine and you come to John chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine suddenly it takes on a whole new realm of significance, doesn't it? Because Jesus is everything that Israel failed to be. Just have a look back to chapter 14, verse 31. The second half, Jesus says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded. I don't do that. I guess you don't do that. But Jesus did And understanding the history of Israel, understanding who Jesus claims to be here, makes complete sense, and it's truly wonderful when you come to understand it. Because what this passage teaches is if God is at the center of your life, if you remain in him, you abide in him, you have a living, walking, growing relationship with him, you will experience joy. Now, joy is not happiness, completely different. Joy is not something that can be manufactured. It's not something that can be bought. It can't be something that is experienced. It's not taken from outside of us and coming into us. Joy is something that grows within us. It's something that only God can grow up within us. But the answer is, therefore, stay close to Jesus, and you will be fruitful. Now, you might be asking how. Um, I'm, no gar- I'm no gardener, but because I've just moved into a house with a garden, I bought a pair of these. Um, now, imagine this is my tree. If Arthur Wood is here, he'll tell me off later because I'm doing this completely wrong. It's an illustration. I'm not telling you how to do it. This is a, a tree, okay? If I was a gardener, I'd look at this tree, and I'd look at a couple of these branches at the back. There's no fruit on them. There's no life on them. So I prune them, don't I? And these are no good, so I throw them away. There's another one here. 
that's no good. No life on it, no fruit, so I throw it away. But then I look at the tree, and there's some fruit on here, but it's not going to grow thick, and it's not going to really flourish unless I prune it. So I'm told you snip at it, and you take little bits off. So I'm not demonstrating how to do it, remember? I'm just demonstrating what you might do. You might just cut a little bit here. And although that is a bit of fruit, actually now it's going to grow back even stronger. And I prune it again. I'm not taking big chunks off. I'm not taking a whole branch out. I'm just working at it and slowly pruning it. Some of you are laughing at me because I'm not a gardener. (laughs) I'll learn. Okay? That's the pruning process. Have a look at our passage because if you were that tree, God wants to do that to you. Have a look. Chapter 15, verse 2. I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. See, God wants to do a work in your life. And the pruning process is painful, but it's important. So think of it as God's loving discipline in your life, where he takes his word and he uses it to correct you and to direct you. The pruning process is all about, are you willing to listen to the voice of God? Shaping your life, helping to realign your heart with his heart. Will you listen to him? It's an ongoing process. I may have pruned it now, but I may have to come back in a few weeks and prune it again. And again, and again, and again. And as long as I keep pruning and looking after the tree, it will keep growing, and it will keep bearing fruit. And in the same way, as long as we keep abiding, resting in, loving the Lord Jesus and listening to his voice, he will keep doing this pruning work in our life. And sometimes it'll be difficult because sometimes he'll correct us. Sometimes he'll direct us. Sometimes he'll encourage us. But he'll be working in us all the time because we listen to his voice. That is the how. Oh, I think it will come back shortly. Let me ask this question, though. Why? Why would God want to do the pruning? We'll have a look at our passage He gives two reasons, Jesus says, in verse 5 and verse 8, and then verse 16. The first reason, why does God want to do this work in my life? It's so that we bear much fruit. And the second reason is so that we bear lasting fruit. Okay, but don't worry about the the slides. We'll go without them. That's fine. He wants us to bear much fruit. Have a look at verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think it's staggering that you are the means by which God wants to achieve his purposes in the world. And I am. The fact that the people he made, you are part of his plan. That is amazing. Why would he want to involve you and me in his plan? He's God. But that's the wonderful privilege we have of being made in his image. And it says here, he wants you to bear fruit. Now, don't think just fruit of the Spirit. It's easy to sort of read fruit here. No Galatians fruit and think fruit of the Spirit. It means the fruit of the Spirit, but it means so much more than that. What he's speaking of here is everything in our life that gives glory to God. Have a look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, to live for the glory of God is to display to a broken, lost world what God is like. God is creative. God is loving. God is generous. God gives. And when I use all of my life with all the skills and passions and and loves that I have, but they're not mine to use selfishly. They're mine that he has given me to use to serve others. That's what it means to live for his glory. 
So I could go out on a rugby pitch and play rugby back in the day when I could play. And I wasn't just playing rugby, but I can use the gifts he's given me to give glory to him because he's a God who's made me like I am. You may have a gift or something you love, and he wants you to use your gifts for his glory. Showing the world just what God is like. One person described it as, when we come to abide in Jesus, when we come to rest in him, it's about marching to the beat of a different drummer. You heard that expression before? See, I can get so caught up in my life, and I hear the drum beat, boom, 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 and this is the way I'm going. I'm not listening to anyone else, I'm just going this way, and this is my life. And then suddenly in the background, I hear another beat of a different drummer. It's God's drum. But the drum's beating on, boom, boom, but I hear this drum. And something attracts me to this drum beat, and I suddenly start following this drum beat and walking in step with this drum beat. And suddenly this drum beat is no longer that attractive because I realize that what God has for me is so much better, so much more wonderful. He wants us to bear much fruit. But do you notice as well, he wants us to bear lasting fruit. Look at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Do you know that word there that's been translated last is actually exactly the same word which throughout the rest of the passage has been translated remain. It's just translated differently here because of the point it's been trying to make. But the reason is that the fruit that he's talking of is fruit that will remain in the same way that if I remain in Jesus, the fruit will remain. He's talking about fruit that has eternal consequences, fruit that will actually last. See, I could ask you, How's life going? You'd probably say to me, I'm busy. We're all just busy. Life is busy. We're speeding up. The world is speeding up. It's good to be busy. And perhaps if you're busy, you might be impressive. But are you fruitful? There's a big difference between being busy and being fruitful. And it says in this passage that Jesus is interested in us being fruitful. Have a look at verses 4 and 5 again. Remain in me. As I remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sure, as a church, we could be incredibly busy, but are we fruitful? We'll only be fruitful if we remain close to Jesus. You look in, we'll probably look pretty similar as a church, but we won't be building lasting fruit. We won't be seeing lasting change in people's lives. That's why prayer has got to be a heartbeat of our church, depending on God and abiding in him. But here's a catch. If you live with God at the center of your life, if his drumbeat is the one you're marching to rather than the drumbeat of the world, you'll face opposition. Of course you will, because the rest of the world will go, that's crazy. Why would you want to live for God's glory? And Jesus understands that himself. Notice what he says in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And he goes on in verse 21. Why do they hate us? They will treat you like this because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Of course the world will laugh at us if we march to the beat of a different drummer, because they don't know God. So for someone who's ignoring God and living life their own way, to hear that somebody else might be living to the glory of God makes no sense at all. But when you hear that drumbeat, when it compels and brings your heart in line with God's heart and you start walking and listening to God, the one who created you and loves you and wants you to flourish 
and enjoy your life and know the sort of joy that only he can grow up from within you, everything changes. So think about the difference life would be like if you spent your life investing in people, not in projects. If you spent your life investing in eternity rather than being caught up in the here and now. If your life was all about giving and serving rather than taking. When God is at the center of your life, when you remain or abide in him, that is where you'll experience true and lasting joy. And joy doesn't change when your circumstance changes. It goes much, much deeper than that. Well, as we draw things to a close, what difference does all this make? There's a puzzling verse in here that's always ripped out of its context, and I want to unpack it a little bit. Have a look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That verse is abused all the time. God is not a cosmic vending machine. I pray, ka-ching, out comes a Mars bar. It doesn't work like that. So why is this verse here in amongst all this stuff about abiding and remaining? It's kind of puzzling, isn't it? Here's the point. If you stay close to Jesus and if you listen to his voice and if his pruning work is going on in your life, shaping and molding you to become more like him, what you desire will increasingly be what he already desires for you. And that is the sense, but I ask and he will give. If you don't believe me, have a look. It came up in the chapter before. Have a look at chapter 14, verse 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he drives the point home even further in chapter 16, the other side of our chapter. Have a look. Verses 23 and 24. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you what you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. See, our joy will come when we are marching to the beat of a different drummer. When we abide in Jesus, when we listen to his voice, the things we desire in life will increasingly fall in line with the things he desires for us. And he's a good God who wants to give us good things. But you notice there's a warning in this passage as well. Have a look at chapter 15, verses 2 and 6. I'm the vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, remember, these are the branches. They were bearing no fruit at all. They weren't remaining in the vine. And then what does he say, verse 6, happens to branches like this? Because it is a warning, verse 6. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. It is a sober warning, because what Jesus is saying here is, if you insist on living your life and ignoring me, if you insist on living your life without me at the center, okay, I'll let you do that, and I'll let you do that for all of eternity. But even the good things you've enjoyed in this life when you have ignored me, because I'm a good God, even those good things I'll take away and you'll be under my judgment forever. It's a sobering warning, isn't it? Here's a God who loves us and is offering us everything 
And yet, it's still possible for us to choose to reject it. But friends, if you want to know the sort of joy that Jesus is speaking of in this passage, if you want to avoid the terrible judgment that he's speaking of in this passage, you and I have still got a problem because, as I said at the beginning, we're like Israel. We have hearts that quickly turn away from God and don't listen to him. And that is why I thank God for chapter 15, verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. He doesn't say, I'm a good example for you. You mucked up and follow my example and I'll show you how to do it. He's not an example, he is a substitute. He says, you've mucked up and there is a penalty, but I will pay it. Have a look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Isn't it amazing that the God who made us, who chooses to use us to bring about his purposes in his world, gave himself for us. He's a God who gives. It said in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and chose you to go and bear fruit. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, not just know about him, but truly know him, when you abide in him, remain in him, you will experience a joy that only he can give. And you'll bear fruit, much fruit, lasting fruit, and it will be a place of great joy. Just as he closes, he says here, as he talks about laying down his life, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe would want to call you his friend? He'd want to call me his friend, and yet that is what he wants to do and will do if we surrender our life to him if we draw close to him, if we don't just hear these great I am's, but if we allow them to work in our heart to draw us closer to the one who loves us. Because friends, he is the true vine. And if we remain, abide in him, we will bear lasting fruit. And that will be to the glory of God. And it will be so that you and I experience a deep, deep joy. That is a truth that surely we should get excited about.